Hi, my name is Brian and I'm the pastor of Vision at Holy City Church. I'm glad that you found our online sermon resources and I pray that the Lord would use them to strengthen your faith. I would exhort you not to use our online sermon resources as a substitute for regular involvement in your own local church. That being said, I pray that our teaching resources would be helpful to you and conform you even more into the image of Christ. Today's sermon text is Hebrews 1 through Hebrews 2 verse 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more ex- excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared by by at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. All right, good morning. So thankful that you're here with us as we are looking again this morning at Hebrews. We're going to finish up uh, Hebrews 1 that I wasn't able to finish last week and then move into chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And as we approach the Advent season, Christmas, it's so important to be reminded of the necessity of the Son of God becoming a man, having a true and full human nature in order that we might have a true and full Savior. And so the author of Hebrews is going to continue his argument, as we started last week, that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is superior and supreme and greater than anyone else. Angels, old covenant figures, and what have you. So, uh, we're going to look, Hebrews 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 4. It's one uh, big argument that he's making. But before we jump into that, let's, let's pray one more time and ask for the Lord's help. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would hallow your name that you would exalt your Son by the Spirit and that your Son would be seen as more excellent than angels, more excellent than any creature in all of creation, that your Son would be seen as the eternal, divine Son who is the radiance of your glory, the exact imprint of your nature, but Lord, would you help your people to see that he is also the promised son of Abraham, of David, who has fulfilled the promises that you've made to your people in the Old Testament. We pray that you would forgive us, Lord, many, many saints coming in this morning 
feeling the weight of their sin, feeling the weight of their own inadequacies. Lord, certainly I am feeling those things as we open your word, and I pray that you would forgive us and that you would help us to walk by faith and repentance. Lord, we thank you that the Son became king and sat down at your right hand only after making purification for sins. So we thank you that we're a purified people through the work of your Son. And we pray through Hebrews 1 and 2 that you would exalt your risen Son, that he would be seen as the mighty Savior that he is by your people, as well as unbelievers in our midst. And we pray that you would save those who do not yet know you. Lord, would you save kids and men and women this morning, we pray. And ultimately, would you keep me faithful to the text as you glorify yourself? Would you keep me and your people from sin? Would you give me faith as I preach? Lord, would you make my weakness clear uh, to the people here so that your power is manifested clearly to them? And we pray that you do far more than we could ask or imagine for Christ's sake. Amen. I recently reread a LA Times article from about eight years ago. I've told this story to some of you uh, before. But two men, cousins from the LA area, went to Newport, uh, Newport Beach, which is just south of LA. And they decided that they were going to relax uh, on the ocean water at the beach at Corona del Mar. And these two large, lazy river raft floats. Um, So they did. They got in the water, and they were having a great time relaxing. Their problem was that they relaxed too much, not noticing that the, the tide, the ocean current, was taking them further and further out to sea. Once they realized their problem, they tried to paddle back, but they could not overcome the ocean current. Passing boats didn't hear or see them. And within six hours, they were two miles away from the shore. They could barely see the beach. One of the men couldn't swim. Thankfully, uh, someone on a passing boat, finally noticed them, uh, called the authorities, deputies and paramedics were able to boat out to them and rescue them. The men were dehydrated. One man was suffering from low blood pressure and hypothermia. The men were not paying close attention to the shore, so they drifted and drifted miles away from safety and into danger and nearly died as a result of their lazy foolishness. And the author of Hebrews warns you not to drift away from the gospel in the same way that these men drifted away from the shore. The currents of this world will not carry you towards Christ. Put another way, saints, faithfulness to Jesus requires constant and careful attention to his gospel, along with concerted diligent effort by the Spirit to obey Him. If you're in Christ, here's here's your hope and confidence. If you're in Christ, you will persevere to the end. But God will often use warnings to bring you all the way home. This morning, three points. First point is going to be from last week that we couldn't hit. Three points. First, worship the royal son who made you. Worship the royal son who made you. Now we're going to be looking specifically at chapter 1 verses, uh, really it starts in verse 4 all the way through 14, but we'll be primarily looking at verses 5 to 14. Worship the royal son who made you. Second, pay attention to the son's better message to you. 
Pay attention to the Son's better message to you. We'll be looking at 2, 1 to 4 there. Remember last week, verses 1, 1 to 4, we were able to clearly see that in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son or in Son. So we must pay attention to the Son's better message to you. Third, trust the Son's warnings as He mediates for you. Trust the Son's warnings as He mediates for you. Again, that's verses 1 to 4, chapter 2. Trust the Son's warnings as He mediates for you. All right, worship the royal Son who made you. Let's look at chapter 1, verses 5 to 14. The primary point that the author of Hebrews makes in this section is this. He starts it really in, the, in, in, in verse 4. The Son is far greater and more excellent than angels. Now, that might seem like a completely random truth, but it's critical to his argument here as he's talking to, to Jewish Christians who are suffering so badly that they are being truly tempted to go back to Judaism. The Son is far greater, more excellent than angels. The author prepares us here for the application he's going to make in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. This section is broken up, verses 5 to 14, by at least three different comparisons. Okay, first, in verses 5 and 6, the author quotes the Davidic Psalm 2. We hear from Peter in Acts 4 that David wrote Psalm 2. And the Davidic covenant promise of 2 Samuel 7, where God promises David an offspring who will rule forever. He quotes these two psalms in order to ask two rhetorical questions. These two questions compare the relationship of the Son and the Father to the relationship of angels and the Father. Did God the Father ever call one of His angels Son? The clear answer to this rhetorical question is no. He's never called any of His angels Son. The Son's unique identity as the Son in relation to the Father along with God's royal promises to David, make the Son superior to angels who do not enjoy sonship, nor the realization of the promises of the Davidic throne. Okay? No angel was promised David's throne. No angel was ever called Son. The Son of God alone is the Son. No angel is the Son. Jesus alone has inherited a more excellent name than angels because of his work as the priest king after making purification for sins, which no angel could do. He sat down at God's right hand, having become more excellent, more, even greater, superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So the son inherits the throne and the angels worship him. That's what angels do. Let all God's angels worship Him. The Son is the recipient of angelic worship. The Son Himself does not worship angels. Now, second comparison. Verses 7 to 12. The author quotes Deuteronomy 32 in Psalm 104 in order to make this point. The Son is the Creator King who created the angels to serve. Okay? So, He's got a better name. He's the Son. The Father has declared Him the Son. He made angels to worship Him. And here we see that the Son is the one who is the Creator, not the creature. And He made angels as ministers. So, the Son isn't a creature. He is the eternal Son. He is the one through whom all things are created and by whom all things are sustained and upheld by His powerful Word. We looked at that last week. The uncreated Son created the angels. So, 
The author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 45 and 102 to demonstrate that the Son, the agent of creation, laid the foundations of the universe, and He alone has an unending eternal throne that will never perish or wear out. Angels and all the rest of creation are totally dependent upon the Son to sustain us. We wear out. I've gotten old enough to know we wear out. The Son does not. He sustains us by His powerful Word, and He governs the universe. So as Creator, we looked, we looked at this last week, as Creator, the Son is distinct from and independent of creation, which makes Jehovah's Witnesses false, false teaching. He is not the firstborn, first creation. He is the Creator. And one day soon, the author teaches us, from the psalmist, the sun will roll up the universe like laundry. Some of you husbands who have some years of marriage under your belt likely know what it's like to have old laundry tossed out. I have myself been a participant in the perennial battle between a husband and his wife over getting rid of his old shirts or pants, shorts. And I've been able to hold on to some old shirts that I love. But my wife has, over the years, exercised considerable ingenuity to get rid of old clothes that I've wanted to keep but really needed to get rid of. Now, recently we were able to strike a deal where I got rid of like two dozen old shirts. That's a lot. By stuffing them into a new golf impact bag that I can use to help my golf swing. Win-win. I get a golf thing, she gets rid of shirts. Now, my wife Elise loves our family, and so she gets rid of each of our family members' old clothing and replaces it with newer, better clothing. You toss out old, worn-out clothing when you're replacing it with new clothing, better clothing. And the sun will one day toss out this old creation like old laundry and replace it with the fullness of the new creation that he first began to usher in the day of his resurrection where he was the first fruits of the new creation. So, first contrast, the sun is the sun, not angels. And angels worship the sun. The second, angels were made as ministers, servants, by the sun who is the creator. Third contrast, verses 13 and 14. The author quotes Psalm 110 to show us that the Son of God is David's promised Son who is also David's Lord. And we talk about, we remember that Jesus talked about Psalm 110 uh, with the Pharisees. Quote Psalm 110, now how can, be, how can David's Son be David's Lord? And they're like, hmm, that's a great question. They didn't know the answer to it. This Davidic and divine son has won the right to sit at God's right hand and rule alongside him as the father puts the son's enemies under his feet as a footstool. Angels don't inherit a throne, they serve the throne. While King Jesus rules from the throne and is to be obeyed, worshipped, and served, angels serve God and God's saints. There's a big difference. God gave Angels to creation in, in one primary way of, of their, one primary reason for their existence is to serve the saints. A lot of people have an inordinate interest in like knowing things about angels, which I get. Like, you want to know about angels. And the Bible has really less to say about angels. 
And a lot of those people who have an inordinate desire to know things about angels don't really have as much of a desire to really know the Son, of whom the Word says a lot. The Son is far greater than angels and is worthy of your endurance in the faith. The Son is the prophet, priest, and king to whom the Old Testament pointed. As the promised Messiah and Son of David, He alone has accomplished our redemption and sat down at the right hand of God. So what is our response? We acknowledge our own creatureliness. We worship and we obey this King Jesus who is sovereign over all of creation. So we love Him. We live for Him. We hold fast to Him. Which brings us to the point number two. Pay attention to the Son's better message to you. Now this is, this is the primary thrust of, of this week's sermon. Let's read the first four verses again of chapter two. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. So, I want to briefly focus on two things in the first verse. One, why or how does the author use the therefore? What is the therefore, therefore? Secondly, What's the message that we have heard that will keep us, from, keep us from drifting away? So first, the author's use of therefore means that everything that he has written in Hebrews 1, particularly verses 4 to 14, serves to ground or establish his exhortation, application, and argument in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Chapter 1 is going to be the reason why he argues what he argues in 2, 1 to 4. So, we've understood chapter 1. We've gone through it. Okay, he talks a lot about the sun and angels and all this kind of stuff. Why? Okay, he's about to explain why that's really important for you to understand that the sun is better than angels. The author wants you to understand that the sun is the fullness of God's revelation. He is God revealed. The messenger and the message are one and the same. The gospel of the Son is the message to which all of the Old Testament pointed and finds its end. The Son is the true Davidic king, and he has inherited a name more excellent than angels. The Son has ushered in the kingdom of God. He has provided the full forgiveness of sins. He has sat down at the right hand of God. No angel has done any of those things. The Son is the Creator. He brings the fullness of the new creation. Angels worship the Son. They serve the Son. And they serve the people who belong to the Son. The royal Son is far superior to and has a far more excellent name than and has spoken a better word than the angels. Which brings us back to Hebrews 2.1. If all of that's true, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Or, put another way, if you change the ordering of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it because the message of the Son is supreme and Jesus is far greater than angels. In fact, Hebrews 2.1 is not only supported by all of chapter 1 with the therefore, but also by chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. For, for since, the message declared, for or because, this message of Jesus is set in clear contrast to the Old Covenant. Now remember who he's writing to. He's writing to Jewish Christians who are being persecuted for being Christians, and they're being tempted to go back to Judaism and the Old Covenant. Why? Because they're like, well, the Old Covenant is clearly God's covenant with Israel. It's still God's word, right? The Old Covenant was a gracious provision of God for Israel, but it was temporary, and it only brought condemnation because the Israelites needed new hearts to obey it, and the law could not give them new hearts. They needed the Spirit, 
which is what the author of Hebrews in chapter 4 is going to say Jesus alone brings. He provides the Holy Spirit. So they needed a spirit which can only be received through the gospel of grace in Christ, not through adherence to the old covenant law. Israel's priests, kings, and prophets were themselves sinners as well as the people. Israel's priests kept dying. They, have, they had to be replaced. He's going to make that argument in chapter 4 and 5. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. He's going to make that argument in, in Hebrews 5 to 8. Ancient Israel couldn't and wouldn't remain faithful to the Old Covenant. And the Scriptures teach us this. The Scriptures teach us that Jesus is greater than anyone or anything related to the Old Covenant. Moses was a prophet who taught and led Israel out of slavery to Egypt. And that's amazing. As we'll see in Hebrews 3, Moses was a servant. The son is the son. The son is greater prophet who teaches and leads Christians out of slavery to sin and fear of death. Moses polluted the land of Egypt by turning the Nile River into blood, which is an amazing miracle. But the son cleanses us by his blood. Moses told his people that they wouldn't obey, but they'd go into exile. Jesus promises his people that they will obey. As he leads us out of exile. We're we're headed to the new creation. Moses demonstrated God's power. Killing every firstborn son in Egypt. Jesus raises the dead. And he will also raise his people. From every tribe and people and nation and tongue. When he returns. Moses performed... Many miracles that have been documented. You could read Genesis to Deuteronomy, particularly in Exodus to Deuteronomy. You can see a lot of miracles that the Lord did in and through Moses. But Jesus performed so many miracles that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Moses' body can't be found because no one knows where he was buried. Jesus' body can't be found because he's raised. And he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Moses longed for the day when the Lord would pour out his spirit on all of his people. And Jesus has poured out his spirit on all of his people. And he distributes spiritual gifts according to God's will. So don't turn away from the gospel to the old covenant law or to anything else, beloved. The safest place for for any Christian is paying the closest attention to and resting in the Son's gospel. If you lack the utmost seriousness and diligence to this gospel, you're in danger of drifting away. Think about it. Drifting away is a gradual process. Right? It's not that you're like snatched away, but you just kind of drift. Drifting away is often a series of small concessions. Not even necessarily sinful things. Just could be not as helpful, not as wise. Too much attention to social media that daily cuts into devotional time. Or so much social media that cuts into meaningful time with the saints. It may be a commitment to a job or activity or even a Saturday night late, mo- late night movies or sports that leave you like a zombie during Sunday worship or causes you to miss the commanded corporate gathering entirely. Very rarely is a saint led away from the faith by an enemy of God putting a knife to the Christian's throat. Right? It's possible, but it's rare. More often, the saint is led away by a lot of small, bad decisions over time, often driven by spiritual passivity or foolishness. And as the story goes, I mean, this is probably not true, but I'm sure many of you have heard this story before. You, you can't boil a frog by throwing it into boiling water, right? You throw it into boiling water and they say, oh, it'll jump out immediately. But if you put it in cold or lukewarm room temperature water and you slowly turn up the heat you can boil a frog now whether or not that's true 
for frogs. I always heard that growing up. That's not important whether or not that's true because it's certainly true in Christian living and discipleship. The natural bent of life in this world is to drift away from Jesus. So if you saints are living in this world, you must recognize the regular and powerful pull of this world and culture upon you as your flesh, the enemy, and the world try to pull you away from Jesus. So uh, our house in Louisville, before we moved back to South Carolina, uh, the house we had while I, was, while I was going to Southern Seminary. Outside the side door of our uh, shotgun-style house, we had like two feet of side yard uh, along with the sidewalk. One of my gutters had a slow drip on the sidewalk, probably had it for years. And when you looked at the spot on the sidewalk where the drips fell, it looked like somebody had taken a small jackhammer to the sidewalk. In a slow, gradual process of just small drops of water hitting concrete over a long period of time produced a significant amount of damage to my sidewalk. Now, if you just took like a huge five-gallon water bucket and said, ah, and you threw it on the sidewalk, nothing doing. Wouldn't work. Over time, drip, drip, drip. And all of a sudden, you have something as hard as concrete with considerable damage. Pay attention. Be alert and act. Preach the gospel to one another fervently. Hear me. I'm not saying like, hey, don't have any fun hobbies. Hey, don't watch TV ever. Don't, don't hear me saying these things. But do hear me say that the natural ebb and flow of this world will always be to take you away from Christ. So you must strive to enter God's rest through Christ. Following King Jesus is swimming against the current. Okay? I mean, I don't know about you, but even as a pastor, it's like, man, Sunday mornings are often the hardest day for me to wake up. I, don't, I think that that's more than just a physical reality. I think there are spiritual things going on. The natural pull of this life and world is against Jesus, away from Him. So we've got to swim against the current. So passivity in your faith is going to take you away from Him. You must walk with Jesus as you walk away from the culture. If you walk with Jesus, it will make you less like our culture. You will stand out and be a bit weird in a variety of ways. When you get together, whether in corporate worship or in your homes or in groups or in eating out, the pattern of your conversations and efforts together should be primarily bent towards the sun. Not the, not the things of this world that will burn, not the things of this world for which Christ had to die in order to save us from them, but like our, our conversations together, the regular pattern should be one of encouragement in the gospel. Now, can I do that while playing golf? Absolutely. Do I need to be diligent in doing that while playing golf? Absolutely. Can, can ladies do that when they're out eating? Absolutely. Will you have to be diligent in doing that while you're out eating? Absolutely. At, women and food, man. It is what it is. So, have fun together, rejoice together, laugh together, but don't be passive about your lives together because the natural flow of this world is away from the sun, not toward him. 
It takes holy effort and a holy community to endure to the end. In all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. So we must, be, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, the gospel. And that makes sense. It's pretty straightforward. But as we read Hebrews 2.2, we see the author talking about the message declared by angels. And what in the world does that mean? This point is not incidental. Which brings us to the third point. Trust the Son's warnings as He mediates for you. So in chapter 1, verses 5 to 14, the author argues that the Son is far greater than angels. The author argues this truth because his, his readers were suffering. They were tempted to go back to Old Covenant Judaism. And that's a problem. And what does the author mean by the message declared by angels? There are a couple of spots in the New Testament that help Help us to understand what he means here. Paul writes in Galatians 3.19, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it, the law, was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, if you remember, we were in Acts 7. This year, Stephen makes the same point. Acts 7.53. The old covenant law was delivered by angels. It was delivered by angels, the old covenant law, to a people who received it, but then who didn't keep it. Even though the law was good. And the scriptures say that it was, it was easy to obey. And yet they didn't. So the New Testament is clear. Angels were the mediaries. They were the go-betweens of the Old Covenant. The angels acted on God's behalf in presenting the Old Covenant to Moses and Israel. This is an important fact, the author of Hebrews argues, because every act of disobedience under the Old Covenant, a covenant mediated by angels, received a just retribution. So even in a covenant that was put in place by creatures namely angels, sinful actions received swift judgment. Some, some examples. Exodus 21, 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. This is a just retribution. Deuteronomy 22, 22. Adulterers are put to death. This is a just retribution. Leviticus 20, 13 to 15. Those who practice same-sex relations or bestiality are put to death. This is a just retribution. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Every sinful act received a just retribution. Deuteronomy 24-7, the judgment for human trafficking is death. This is a just retribution. Deuteronomy 30, 17-18, idolaters will perish. This is a just retribution. Deuteronomy 33, the people will experience judgment and exile for breaking the old covenant. This is a just retribution. All of these judgments occurred in Israel. Intentional and unintentional sins were always judged under this covenant mediated by angels. They always received a swift retribution under the law. So this point is clear when you read Exodus to Deuteronomy. So what point is the author making here? If the old covenant mediated by angels brought swift retribution for disobedience, then how will we escape if we neglect this new covenant mediated by the Son who is far greater than angels? If terrible retribution occurred due to disobedience under the old covenant, which was given by angels, creatures who worship the Son and who minister to the Son and who minister to the Son's people, if terrible retribution occurred due to disobedience under a covenant mediated by creatures, can you imagine how much more terrible the retribution will be for disobedience under the new covenant given by the Son of God Himself. As you think about hell, how horrific will that be 
because you are disobeying not some angel, but the Son who created all things, who upholds the universe by the word of His power, who after making purifications for sins sat down at the right hand of the Father, who is the one who will roll up all of the universe like old laundry and usher in a new creation. So kids, 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 especially my kids, kids, listen to me. This is important, okay? Because the vast majority of you are here week in and week out, week in and week out, and you're hearing the truth of the new covenant, the message of the new covenant, week in, week out. If kids who grew up disobeying their parents in Israel were punished because of that disobedience, you must believe the gospel and repent. And you honor your parents under the new covenant in the power of the Spirit. This is serious, serious business. Husbands, wives, singles, if Israelites were strictly judged for adultery and other forms of sexual immorality, you must be even more careful to obey the gospel message that you've heard. If unbelief was judged with greater severity in Israel, judgment for unbelief in the church will be unspeakably awful. And we praise the Lord for His grace. That grace is faith alone. Uh, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone. It's not by the law. Praise the Lord. There is no greater safety, no greater safety than paying close attention to the Word of God given to you. You are far safer obeying God's Word in the middle of Gaza then you are ignoring the gospel message in the comforts of your American home. Don't be fooled. God always keeps His people, but pay attention to the Son's message. Paying attention to the Son's message. It's an intentional, holy effort on your part in the Spirit's power. And we must pay attention. Closer attention. Now, an interesting point that I'm sure some of you picked up on is that the author of Hebrews is writing to believers. He's talking about all this swift retribution and judgment to Christians. The author of Hebrews speaks of terrifying results for believers who neglect Jesus' salvation and fall away. But hold on now, Dr. Brian. Pastor Bishop Elder <laughs> Brian, PhD. I thought Christians couldn't fall away or lose their salvation. Yes. And we praise God for that. I mean, that's my only hope is that Jesus is holding me fast. The gospel is not only the means by which we are saved, but it is also the means by which we are kept. God often uses warnings as the means by which his people are kept. This is true of uh, King Hezekiah. He was sick, he was dying. God said, get your house in order, you're going to die. And, and, and what, was that, what does that warning do? It leads Hezekiah to deep, heartfelt prayer. And his life is extended. God said, you're going to die soon. That leads Hezekiah to pray, and the Lord extends his life. This is true of Paul during the shipwreck in Acts 27. The Lord says, hey, everybody on the boat's safe, okay? You've got to testify before Caesar to Christ and him crucified. Everybody's going to be safe, okay, in the midst of the shipwreck. But then some people are trying to escape in Acts 27. We'll get to that next year. And what does Paul say? Unless you stay on the boat, nobody's going 
nobody's going to be saved. How can Paul warn of something that he knows can't happen because the Lord's already said, everybody's safe? Because his warning is the means by which everybody stays on the boat. And in the midst of the shipwreck, everybody survives. Because they cut the rescue boats off, the life boats, and everybody was saved. So this is also true in the book of Hebrews. God often uses warnings as the means by which his people are kept. And, and we, see this, we see this reality dimly around us. So I've, I've heard one comedian, British comedian, jokingly put it, put it this way, that like this is how you raise your children. It's basically threats. <laughs> threats of death are the only way that you can get children to do things. If you don't put your coat on, you'll catch pneumonia and you'll die. (laughs) Hold daddy's hand as we cross the street or a car will hit you and you'll die. (laughs) If you don't brush your teeth, your teeth will fall out, you won't be able to eat, and you'll die. As funny as this is, it isn't too far off the mark, right? Listen to a godly father's warnings to his son. Proverbs 132, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Disobedience can kill you. Proverbs 7, 4 and 5, in verse 27, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Her house is the way to Sheol, the place of the dead. Going down to the chambers of death. Disobedience can kill you. Sexual morality can kill you. Proverbs 30, 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Dishonoring your parents can kill you. You cannot escape if you neglect Jesus' greater salvation. But the mediation of the Son isn't simply greater... Because the judgment is greater for those who drift away. Jesus' mediation is far greater because he is a far better advocate than any angel could be. What angel could die as an acceptable sacrifice for your sins? None of them. What angel can understand your temptations as a human being? None of them. They're not people. Angels can't function as the mediators we need. Remember, Christians will judge angels at the great judgment. Remember Paul saying that in 1 Corinthians 6? 1 Corinthians 6, 3, we will judge angels. Jesus, on the other hand, he is the judge. His priesthood continues forever. His sacrifice actually takes away sins. He's able to save his people completely. He has turned away God's wrath and given you his own righteousness and God's favor as a beloved child. Not because of the law making you righteous, but because of Jesus declaring you righteous because he obeyed the law perfectly. The law which was given by angels couldn't change the people. It couldn't. I mean, Paul says that in Romans 7. Like, man, when I was fine... I was fine until the law said don't covet. And then I just wanted to covet everything. That was the purpose of the law, to expose sin, to increase sin, to bring judgment. Why? So that you would look to the Lord and say, I I can't save myself by keeping your law. I can't keep your law. Have mercy on me, O God. King David committed sins for which the old covenant had no sacrifice. There was no sacrifice to cover the kind of sin with Bathsheba and then killing Uriah. There was no atonement for that kind of sin under the Old Covenant. But what did David write in Psalm 51? Be merciful to me, O God. Like if I could offer a sacrifice, I would. The law pointed forward to a future Savior, a Messiah who would himself alone keep the law perfectly. What the old covenant law couldn't do, Jesus' new covenant work has accomplished. The law can't give you a new heart, beloved, but the Lord Jesus does. 
The law can't make you think rightly, but the Lord Jesus does. The law can't give you the Spirit, but the Lord Jesus does. Beloved, you have the Spirit. You have been fully forgiven purely through the work of the Son, not through the law given by angels. He has given you a new heart and a new mind. God is conforming you into the image of His Son. You have peace with God because, God, because Jesus works on your behalf. Jesus rules on His throne and has both the power and the desire to bring His will for you to pass for His glory and for your, for your good. His desire is for you to endure more than your desire is for you to endure. And He can actually bring you home. So God's warnings are normal, they're frequent, they're motivated by love and truth. God's warnings to His new covenant people are part of the means by which His people are kept in the faith. And nearly every warning in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews follows each warning with hope and promise, precisely because Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. He writes in 2.18, For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Chapter 6, verse 9. He's already said, listen, if, you do all, if, if you've tasted the Spirit and you know, blah, 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 and you fall away, there is no forgiveness. There is no repentance. It's like crucifying Jesus again. And right after that, he says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Warning in chapter 10, followed by 1039. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So we must pay careful attention to the Son's better message, the gospel. We must be sober-minded about the Son's better mediation with its warnings and promises. And then we, we see in verse 4, we trust the Son's miracles that have accompanied and confirmed His message. God has confirmed his gospel through the preaching of Jesus Christ, the faithful evangelism of his disciples, through signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Old Covenant was not without miracles that testified to the validity of God's covenant with Israel. Deuteronomy 34, 10 to 12. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and all, to, all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. A prophet spoke God's truth to God's people. God confirmed his word with supernatural acts of history and the, Lord, or the Old Testament anticipated someone coming who would be like Moses, the Lord himself. In the flesh. Hebrews 2, three, half, had the second half of verse 3 to 4. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So the author says we have a better message than that of Moses, a better mediator than angels, and we have better miracles or manifestations of God's power to confirm our new covenant than Moses did with the old covenant. So, many of us love hearing each other's testimonies. Such a great thing to regularly talk about. Many of us are able to credit a mom, a dad, a friend, a coworker, a missionary, a pastor for sharing the gospel with us and being God's means of saving us. And if you are a Christian, I want you to understand this from verse, the second half of verse 3. It was declared at first by the Lord. If you are a Christian here this morning, do you realize that you believe the gospel because Jesus was the first one to preach it? Like you're way down the line, but you are products of Jesus' evangelism, believing the same message that he, he preached in Israel. It was declared at first by the Lord. You believe the gospel this morning, not only because your mom or dad or whomever shared it with you, praise the Lord, and not only because someone shared it with them, and so on and so forth, 
but primarily because Jesus himself was the first to be faithful in preaching the word. You're a product of Jesus' evangelism. You believe because Jesus was faithful to the Father's command and to his own great commission. The means by which this better message reaches all of God's people all over the globe is through the faithful preaching and evangelism of God's people. So as we've seen in Acts, God has often confirmed the gospel message with signs and wonders. But you've got to have a gospel proclaimed by saints before you have messages or you have uh, miracles that confirm it. Praise God, as, as we think about this, praise God that our Emmanuel Network partnership of churches is so faithful in sending and giving to support church planners, missionaries all over the world. But are you, you individually, being faithful in proclaiming the gospel to others in the context in which God has placed you? Contexts. You must imitate Jesus and his disciples, not only by holy character, but by all, by also by holy actions, like evangelism, gospel preaching, your homes, your schools, your workplaces, to the ends of the earth. God has confirmed the gospel message by miracles, signs, wonders, particularly in new, unreached areas, but it is always, 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 always connected to gospel preaching. I've, I've often found it exciting to hear from godly, theologically astute missionaries that I trust, Reformed, Baptistic, who are serving in the Middle East, who have told me that they've never encountered, never encountered, a person saved out of Islam who did not first have a dream in which the Muslim was commanded to first go to a Christian. They didn't know that that person was a Christian. To go to a Christian in the area and then listen to that saint's gospel message. And then the person gets saved. I mean, that's the true miracle. That's what we say. That's what we really rejoice in. Not that the spirits are subject to us, not that dreams come, but because our names are written in the book of life. But it's still exciting when it happens. But these dreams and signs are never separated from the faithful, from the faithful gospel proclamation. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So not only should you put off ignorance of this great salvation, but you should also put on sharing it with others so that they won't be ignorant. So the Lord has borne witness to this gospel message by distributing the Holy Spirit, gifts to his people. If you have the Spirit, it is one of God's means of bearing witness to the gospel message that you have believed. Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. John 15, 26, but when the Helper comes whom I will send you to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Do not belittle, okay, I, I'm talking to some, some folks who love theology they're reformed, you know. So hear me. Do not belittle the experiential, subjective, inner testimony of the Spirit, beloved. Don't belittle it. It's not the only way that you can be confident in your faith, but it is one important way that you can be confident in your faith. The Spirit testifies that we are children of God. Saints who struggle with doubting your salvation, if you've confessed faith, you've been baptized, you're a member here, the entire church has confirmed your faith and repentance, and you have the inner testimony of the Spirit. But, but, you must not drift away from the faith. We have to hold the promises and the warnings in tension. You must persevere to the end, and God will keep you. Hebrews says, you must not ignore this great salvation that was declared by Jesus and testified by those who heard and confirmed by God himself with miracle signs, wonders, and gifts of the Spirit. Beloved, our King Jesus brings a better message, 
He is a better mediator. The miraculous events, signs that confirm his work are far better than that of angels, Moses, and in the Old Testament, Old Covenant law. We would be wise to heed the warning of the author of Hebrews not to neglect this great salvation. Don't go back to that which once dominated you. Certainly don't go back to the Old Covenant law if you're Jewish. Don't look for salvation in anything other than Jesus. Heed the warning of the author of Hebrews. Don't neglect this great salvation of the Son because of the consequences Israel suffered when they disobeyed an old covenant that is now obsolete. The Son is superior to angels. His message, His warnings, His his mediation, His miracles bear witness to the truthfulness of the gospel. And that should be a great comfort to you. Particularly as we all battle for faithfulness and joy in a really, really dark world. A sinful world. May God cause us to endure and heed his warning to pay careful attention to the gospel as his son holds us fast and prepares for us the fullness of a new creation.